Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 33. By the time Jason arrived, my nerves were completely shot. I couldn't believe, after all the other shit I had been through, I now had to deal with Dempsey stalking my ass. Me either. Be completely honest with you. I didn't think this was necessary at all. As I said before, if he was escaped and ran off for the rest of the time, that's fine. It has really nothing to do with her life. But there is somebody who was in her life who was trying to smother her to death with a pillow just a little while back. There is somebody who was calling her phone and, you know, saying bitch when uh, Diamond was calling her a bitch. Those things are connected. It could have been her who was making those calls. It could have been her who was stalking her. But you go back to Dempsey, who honestly, uh, in the span of things in this book, doesn't really have a huge carbon print, carbon footprint in this book. You know what I'm saying? The homicide detectives assigned to Brenda's murder case were called to the scene, and I finally learned their names. Wilson and Reed, I don't care about their names. The end of the book. Just finish this shit. They told me their names and gave me their cards the night of the murder, of course, but I was too out of it and too upset to even care. I told them about the two phone calls from the previous day. Jason looked at me with stunned disbelief that I had yet again not been completely truthful. I explained to him that I didn't want to ruin my first day back from the hospital and my first night with him since we started therapy and told him I was on my way to the gun shop when the attack happened. He didn't appear satisfied with my explanation, but didn't sweat the issue. He was just glad I was alive. They already had an all-points bulletin out on Dempsey, so there wasn't much more they could do except off me around-the-clock protection. After two near-death experiences from strangulation, once by Tyson and now by Dempsey, I gratefully accepted. My lips were swollen, and so was one of my eyes from the hits I took from the briefcase in Dempsey's fists. I absolutely refused to go to the hospital. I had just got out of that bitch, and there was no way I was going back. They handed me some pain medication, gave my ribs the once-over, and told Jason he could take me home as long as I promised to get plenty of rest and not overexert myself. That night, I told Jason about Tyson's attempt on my life. He said the doctors at the hospital asked him about some marks on my neck, but he assumed they were somehow from the accident. Yeah. Marks on the neck are going to come from her getting hit by a car, dog. Like, 
choke marks, fingerprints around the neck are going to come from her getting hit by a fucking flower van, dog. Like, seriously? Are we really making this nigga that stupid? We mutually decided to stop talking about negative things. Two police officers were stationed out front in a patrol car, and the alarm system was on, so I felt perfectly safe. I wanted to make love again more than anything in the world, but Jason was quick to inform me. That would be considered overexerting yourself. I was hoping he wasn't retreating back into a shell after the hellified night of sex we had the night before. I wasn't about to let that shit happen, beaten and bruised up or not. He didn't keep me guessing long. Making love would definitely be too physically straining. However, there is something I can do to you that wouldn't fall into that category. Yet, it would bring about the same end result. I started laughing, and it made my ribs hurt for a moment. Jason, what the hell are you talking about? Mm, I can show you better than I can tell you. And that's exactly what he did. My previously shy, sexually repressed husband got up from the bed to lock the door, even though the kids had been asleep for hours, and then wasted no time getting my black lace panties off. That is one thing that I do that is, like, even if the house is fucking empty, I, I lock the door before we do anything. I think that comes from the sexual trauma of being afraid that my mom was going to walk in on me while I was jacking off as a teenager using her, 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 using her internet in her house with a dial-up connection. So here's how selfish I was as a teenager. My bad. I literally tied up her phone line while I waited 45 minutes to an hour for one titty picture to be downloaded. And when I say a titty pic, I don't mean like a woman standing from the top, from the waist up and you see a picture of her breast. No, I mean a titty. A thumbnail print of a titty took about an hour to download when we first got dial-up internet. And yes, also dial-up internet. It tied up telephone lines. It was a whole thing. My daughter was born in 2002 before they made uh, internet that you could connect to your cable line. Yeah, it was a thing. It was real. I thought you said we couldn't have sex, boo. We're not going to have sex. At least, not sexual intercourse. He started grinning, and I was still lost as a virgin in a whorehouse. That is, until he spread my legs up and it started sucking on my pussy. I was likely to faint. Jason was eating my pussy and I couldn't hold in my surprise. Jason, you're eating my pussy. I don't know how much more I could take of this. Like, that's not in the book. That's literally how I feel. I don't, I don't know how much more I can do of this horrible-ness. <sighs> he paused long enough. God damn it. He paused long enough to say, uh-huh, yes, I am eating your pussy, and it's good, too. Jason, you're eating my pussy. Uh-huh, yes, I am eating your pussy. Yeah, oh, who's eating your pussy? Am I eating your pussy? Who's a good pussy? He started eating me with more and more intensity. There's a rapper I listen to named E-40. He's out here on the West Coast. A lot of y'all heard of him, but don't respect him for reasons that I don't fucking understand. But that's neither here nor there. He has a song where he said, I never said I wouldn't lick pussy. I said I never thought about eating it. 
And when I heard that, I really started thinking about the phrase eating pussy. Like, I'm not trying to. It's weird, right? What gets in your head and what sticks. But I heard that when I was a teenager and I was like, you know what? That makes sense. I'm not eating pussy. I'm licking pussy. I'm performing cunning lingus. There's a difference to me that doesn't stand out to others. So, yeah, when I hear the phrase eating pussy, it sounds the same as when you hear the word moist. And you're welcome. He started eating me with more and more intensity. I think the mere thought of him going down on me made me come the first two or three times, but it didn't stop there. My baby ate me like I was an all-you-can-eat buffet. It's like she knows that I fucking hate that. <laughs> and I had orgasm on top of orgasm. He must have been trying to make up for lost time. At one point, I had to grab a hold of the headboard just to be able to hang in there with this tongue action. I wanted to suck his dick so bad. And he told me it wouldn't have been a problem if my lips weren't so damn swollen and sore. I was madder at Dempsey for keeping me from sucking Jason's dick than for trying to kill me. We fell asleep about 1am, but a couple hours later, a noise startled me awake. At first, I thought it might be Angelique up late, studying for some exams or something like that. I decided to play things safe and walk to the window facing the street to make sure the police were still out front. They were. Since I was already up and about, I decided to go downstairs and make a pot of blackberry tea. Another one of my favorites I missed while I was in the hospital. I love to make a pot of tea, take it out on the screened-in porch on the back of the house, and listen to the birds and other animals rustling about. I made my tea and headed outside onto the porch. Why? You set your alarm, right? You set your alarm. The police are out front protecting your house. Why would you go to the patio that's in the back that obviously doesn't have an alarm system connected to it because it's a screened-in patio where somebody can get in there and be waiting for you? That's just not the best thought in the world. As soon as I open the patio door, I smell something cooking and wonder who the hell would be crazy enough to be grilling at that time of the morning. That's when I noticed the smoke escaping from the air holes of our gas grill. Something was cooking in my own backyard. It was pure stupidity not to go get the cops or call for Jason, but I had to see for myself. No, you don't. I ain't never known anybody black to go investigate that shit. We have the common fucking sense that God gave us to not go and investigate that shit. If your gas grill is on and something is burning, you know what you do? You take your fucking ass back inside that house because you didn't turn that shit on. If somebody's running, we run. If somebody yells fire, we're out of there. If there's something going on where there's a killer in the house, we're out the house. We don't investigate. We don't look down hallways. We don't go chasing waterfalls. We don't do that shit. So when you are already out of bounds on your porch where nobody can see you and protect you, and you see that your gas grill is cooking something that you know that you didn't put out there, you take your happy ass back inside the goddamn house and call them fucking police that are in front of your house. And you tell them to draw their fucking guns and go out back and say, yo, gas grill is on and you didn't fucking do it. That's what the fuck you do.
But no. Why would you do that? Because you need to build drama where no drama should be at. I'm telling you, this book should have ended like five chapters ago. After they finished the trauma, after they figured out where the traumas were coming from, it really should have stopped. But nope. Now we got to deal with this. I hope at least this is Diamond. I hope she burned a dog up on your grill or something like that. Like, that would be fucking horrible, yes. But at least we'd have the person you should actually have a problem with back in here. Rather than the person who murdered somebody and fleed to another state and then came back because they heard that you talked to the police about them. How the fuck did they hear that? Anyway, who would have told him that? Who would have fucking told Dempsey that shit? Your girl is dead. Your man don't talk to him. You don't talk to him. Who would have... Does he have a mole in the police department? Who would have told Dempsey that you talked to the police? Who's letting him know that you're on paperwork? These are the questions that I have. None of this makes any sense. Once I unlocked the porch door leading out into the yard itself, I noticed Spot was not on his chain and his doghouse was empty. I ran barefoot over the cobblestone patio and threw the hood of the grill up. Two seconds later, my screens woke up the whole damn neighborhood. So, you wrote a dog into this story. You wrote Spot into this story. Just so you could set the motherfucker on fire. That's fucked up. Like, seriously. That's like me introducing a child into this story. You didn't even get Spot enough time to get nowhere. She got back home from the hospital. Spot was uh, at the house. Brand new. They went upstairs and made love. She went to work the next day. Dempsey was there. She got hit in the face and, and he ran off and she called the cops. And that night... Spot got murdered. Grand opening, grand closing. That's shitty. That shit did it. I told my mother to come get the kids and take them back to her house. I also asked Angelique to stay over at my mother's to help Mama and Aubrey out. She was a sweetheart and quickly agreed. Besides, I don't think she was too thrilled about staying at a house where people trespassed in the backyard and grilled a family pet anyway. And why the fuck do you have a newborn puppy was it a puppy it was a puppy i'ma go check yep he's a puppy he's a puppy you have a new puppy living in your backyard in a doghouse how the fuck does the puppy know to stay inside the doghouse i had a puppy she's two years old now a year and a half she didn't know where to go. She didn't know what to do. You had to literally train her to do these things. First day in, huh? Y'all just got her posted up in a doghouse. She's probably howling at the moon. She's probably crying and alone. She's probably scared. He, maybe. I don't fucking know. I don't fucking know. But it doesn't matter now, right? Because you killed it. That's all you really wanted to do. Jason and I refused to leave our home, especially not for the likes of Dempsey's bitch ass. I had wanted a police officer to escort me to a gun shop where I purchased a 45 caliber handgun. They couldn't really take issue with it in light of the fact that the officers positioned out front 
had done absolutely nothing to prevent what happened to Spot. There's a fucking backyard. And I'm certain Dempsey's little ass can hit a fence. So, yeah. We stayed in the house most of the time for the next few days. Since Jason had a drawing room, keeping up with his work was not that big of a deal. Allison came over with some papers he needed to sign, and that bitch had the nerve to come up in my house with an attitude. While she was waiting for Jason to come downstairs to the great room, I made it perfectly clear all of the commotion had nothing to do with an affair, but with the murder of my best friend. She looked at me, rolled her eyes, and muttered, Oh. I'm sure it's Allison, though. Like, Dempsey probably dipped. And she's been drawing Allison so steadily evil in this book that I could see Allison having a fatal attraction type thing with Jason. Even if Jason did never cheat, this woman was just infatuated with him. I went the hell off. You know what? I don't owe you an explanation in the first damn place. So just do your job, let Jason sign the papers, and then get the hell out my house. Fine then. I'll do that. I wasn't going to say another word, but she went there. One of these days, he's going to wise up and get him a real woman. Bitch, please. I got loud with her ass. Let's get something straight. I've been with Jason since 8th grade, and I've known him even longer than that. His ass isn't going nowhere. Don't believe me? Just ask him. She never got the opportunity, because he caught the tail end of our conversation and confirmed it. Definitely not going nowhere. He got to the bottom of the steps, put his arm around my waist, and gave me a big, juicy kiss. Even with all the things stressing us, we were acting like newlyweds again. Allison, where are the papers I need to sign? She handed him a manila folder. Right here. He took them, signed them, and handed them back to her. About to leave, she muttered, goodbye. One more thing, Allison. She was almost at the door when she turned around and faced Jason. Yes, Mr. Raynard. Don't ever talk to my wife like that again, or you'll have to find employment elsewhere. I thought she told him that she was going to get her fired. Thought she was like, I'm going to talk to Jason about getting her fired after that whole thing before she got hit by the car. He paused and decided to drive the knife in deeper. Without a recommendation from me at that. Addressing Zoe in such a fashion is not professional and it won't be tolerated. Do you understand? Yes, I understand. She liked she was about to cry when she went out the door. I giggled with delight. That's what the bitch deserved. I had my secretary bring all the important papers that couldn't wait over to the house for me as well. Fortunately, Shane and I had no beef, so her visits were pleasant. If anything, she was too concerned about my health and welfare. I appreciated it and gave her a bonus for working overtime and making the runs back and forth to the house. The sex between Jason and I were nothing short of bomb. The kids were gone, we were there in the house together around the clock, and we made good use of the time alone. Once the swelling went down around my mouth, I wasted no time putting my lips to his dick and going to work. In fact, you might say I got a bit obsessed. Jason had to almost put my ass on a dick feeding schedule just so he can get any work done. However, he loved performing oral sex just as much as I did. He became a little over-attentive to exploring my pussy with his mouth. It was all good, though. We took advantage of every possible moment. We fucked all over the house, like teenagers. We did all the freaky shit we didn't have the nerve to do when we were younger. We utilized everything from his drafting table and the kitchen countertop to the hearth of the fireplace and the top of the washing machine during the rinse cycle. I was lying between Jason's legs on the couch and sucking his dick while he was watching the late, late news about a week after Dempsey's attack on my life when the top news report caught my attention. 
I heard the newscaster mention a shootout in a nightclub called The Zoo and stop sucking Jason's dick so I could pay attention to the rest of the story. Apparently, a scuffle had broken out over a woman and a gun battle had ensued. Jason, that's the club where Brina met Dempsey, I exclaimed. He whispered, really? And tried to maneuver my head back down towards his dick so I could finish what I started. Shootings were so common that one of the club didn't impress him much. I went back to sucking his dick and caught a rhythm, but I was still listening to the news. The reporter that I was covering the scene live informed us that the police had confirmed three dead and seven injured. I thought to myself that one of the dead might be Dempsey, but decided I couldn't be that lucky because he wouldn't be stupid enough to go back there after I specifically told the police he hung out there. Jason had just come in my mouth when the phone rang. He answered and kept saying yes over and over again. I looked up at him with his juices still trickling down my chin and tried to judge what the call might be about from the expression on his face. He replaced the phone back on the cradle. That was Detective Wilson. I closed my eyes and prayed Jason was about to say what he ultimately did. It's all over, Zoe. Dempsey's dead. So that immediately means that Dempsey's not the one that was in our fucking backyard. <clears throat> Which means that it was either Diamond or it was his uh, his secretary, his assistant, Allison. Dempsey was stupid. Like, that whole write-up of Dempsey was stupid. Creating him, he was stupid. Um... She had options from the moment she first met Dempsey. I'm talking about Brina right now. And she made the wrong decision. We never really went into deep into the trauma that she went through throughout her life because she was the only person who outwardly had traumas, like her mother being addicted to alcohol and, and abandoning her really and, and not being focused on her, her, her well-being and growth as a child really did affect her. Not having a father in her life probably really did affect her. Uh... But we never examined any of that because Brina was not somebody that we were supposed to care about in this book. Brina was just a avenue for Zoe to get from part one of the story to part two of the story. I needed to go talk to Brina and she blithely mentioned some stuff about her and a man she was seeing named Dempsey. But whatever, I had issues. She was the one who actually needed the therapy. Like, they all three need therapy, obviously. But Brina needed it from the gate. Like, she needed it as a child. And if she got it as a child, this wouldn't have happened. But Dempsey was awful from the beginning. But I don't think he was stupid. And for him to come back, not only to Atlanta, to confront Zoe for no reason. A free man ain't going to come back to the plantation that he was once at. I wouldn't. This ain't Django. If I broke loose and I'm scot-free, I'm not coming back to where I can get caught and put back into a cell or into a hole or into anything. Not only did you go to Zoe's job and confront her there, which, how'd you know where she fucking worked? That's one. Two, then you went back to the club where there's security out front and there's people and your face has been on the news. And they probably have pictures of you everywhere and niggas know your name up in there and you went back to that club and just so happened to be there when they got shot up. Hmm. Okay. Well, in this next chapter, let's find out that Allison is really fucking crazy and if she can't have Jason, nobody else can and then Zoe's going to end up shooting her. All right, let's go. Chapter 34. It was such a relief to have it all behind us. 
I'm not the type to wish death on anyone, but I have to admit I wasn't the least bit upset when Dempsey was shot and killed at the zoo. Personally, I felt a quick death, albeit a violent one, was too good for him after what he did to Brina. My only regret was that two other people died along with him, and one girl who was too young to be in the club in the first place, an innocent bystander who was shot in the spine, would never be able to walk again. I found out her name from Detective Wilson and which hospital she had been taken to. I went to visit her, since I could move about freely again. The police protection had been pulled, and it was great to be out and about, even if it meant being thrown off a bit from my dick-feeding schedule. I took the girl, who was named Octavia, a dozen roses in a card. Her sister was there with her, and we all sat and talked like old friends for about an hour before I brought up the reason I was really there. I was hoping she wouldn't take it the wrong way. Octavia, I know your health insurance covers all your medical expenses, but I thought you might want someone to talk to about coping with your handicap. Her voice was very weak, and her skin was flaccid and pale. Someone like who? I have a friend. Her name is Dr. Marcella Spencer, and she's a wonderful psychiatrist. I think she might be able to help you tremendously. Her sister put her two cents in. I noticed she had quite a southern drawl. We can't afford no head doctor. I'll be willing to cover the costs. Both of them were shocked, and their mouths were hanging wide open. I guess good Samaritans went out with bell-bottoms in the afro. Octavia cleared her throat. Why would you be willing to do something like that for me? You don't even know me. The man who hurt you, well, one of them at least, also hurt me as well as my best friend. In fact, he killed her and ultimately tried to kill me. They were utterly speechless. Helping you will make me feel like I've undone some of the things he did wrong. Does that make any sense? Probably not. I was on the brink of tears. So much had happened over the past few months that crying had almost become second nature to me. Yes, it makes sense to me and thanks, lady. The name is Zoe. Zoe Rayner, and thank you for accepting the help. Dr. Spencer helped me overcome something once and she's still helping me. I'm sure she'll help you too. I held the door open briefly as I was leaving, taking one last look at the young girl who would never walk, run, dance, drive a car, and make love again. I'll have Dr. Spencer stop by tomorrow to set up a schedule with you. She smiled at me, and I headed for my office to play catch-up. For the next two months, everything ran smoothly with my marriage, my business, and my relationship with my kids and my mother. Things had never been better. My business picked up considerably, probably because the CEO of the company was finally content with her own life and able to run everything in a more pleasant and efficient manner. Angelique was back in her dorm, but still watched the kids for us when Jason and I went out on our dates twice a week. We made that promise to one another and held to it faithfully. We spent two romantic evenings a week alone together, away from the kids and household. It was during one of those romantic evenings that Jason surprised me with his master plan. We were having dinner in a soul food restaurant when he told me he had rented a log cabin up in the mountains for us to have a weekend getaway. Yep, it's going to be Allison, because who else can see his fucking calendar? He should have fired her from the gate, but because he didn't, that's about to play out. Cool, 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 cool. You know what? That probably just spoiled for y'all. I'm guessing out loud, and I could totally be wrong, but I'm probably fucking not. He suggested we drive up that Friday, which was three days away, and spend all day Saturday looking at land for sale to build our summer home. I told him it was on, and then got up from my chair, sat on his lap, and started tonguing the hell out of him. The woman that owned the place came over and asked us to stop because there were children present. 
I replied, oops, my bad. She had no idea what the hell that meant, but was clearly relieved when I returned to my seat. I dropped the kids off at Mama's that Friday afternoon. Jason had the Land Rover packed and ready to roll when I pulled up at home. We had a great drive. It took us about two hours to get to the cabin, and I fell in love with it at first sight. It was nestled deep in the woods, a split level with three bedrooms and two full baths. What I loved most was the huge fireplace. Jason headed right outside to get some wood so a fire would be up and going for dinner time. We had plenty of groceries. I went shopping the night before and purchased everything we would need for our romantic weekend getaway. I made baked chicken breast with rice, green beans, and rolls for dinner. That's the best you can do? That's the best meal you can come up with? That is average. That is mid as fuck. That is baseline. I know. Some of y'all can't even cook that. I understand. It's okay. But be real with yourself. If you have a getaway with your boo thing, your loved one, the one who planted the seeds in your life that caused your life to sprout, would you serve them baked chicken breast, rice, green beans, and a roll for dinner? Before y'all got the fucking, would you? I don't think I would be allowed to do that in my own mind. Would you? Like, putting the, the chicken, putting a little bit of salt and pepper over the top of it. I feel like they didn't put a lot of salt and pepper over the top of it because it's baked chicken breast. Pouring some water into the pan and then putting foil over the top of the pan and putting it into the oven for it to steam and all that kind of stuff. Would you? Green beans. With, you know, just a, a tad bit of salt and pepper. No potatoes, no bacon, no nothing like that. Just salt and pepper and the water that the green beans need to be in. Or even worse, the juices from the can that the green beans came in. Boiling over the top of the stove until these slimy, already flaccid pieces of green stuff with holes in the middle that you call green beans are ready to eat. Could you? White rice with no gravy on top, no butter, no seasoning. You don't salt the water. You don't salt the rice. You barely even, no, I take that back. Black folks fucking clean the rice. We gon' do that shit. But you don't do anything else. You cook it in a rice cooker. You don't even look at it. It dings. It's ready to go. And a hard ass roll, not a Hawaiian roll. Just a hard-ass roll with a pat of hard butter in the middle of it. Cold. Unyielding. Would you... Would you think about making something like that before you... Before you were amorous with your love? What the fuck did y'all drink with that? Kool-Aid? Like, what the fuck is this 12-year-old shit? You know what? Neither here nor there. We ate on the bearskin rug by the fireplace. <clears throat> After we washed the dishes, we returned to the rug and made love for the remainder of the night. Jason got up before me the next morning and prepared a huge breakfast. I didn't even know his ass could cook like that. My baby was just full of surprises. First, by eating the pussy day in and day out, and then 
cooking me an actual meal. Well, bravo for you, Jason, for in your entire fucking marriage, not only never satisfying the pussy until just now, but also never cooking. You are literally written as the man of everybody's nightmares. Because you also slut shame all of her friends and her. And you check up on her constantly to see where she's at or where she could be and then guilt her when she doesn't contact you quickly enough. You are on the up and up. You are the best around. No one's ever going to bring you down, Jason. I'm so glad you changed. Y'all weren't going to make it. We spent most of the daylight hours riding around in a Jeep Wrangler with Roscoe Carter, the one and only local real estate agent. He showed us every section of land up for sale in the county. Jason and I were both worn out by the time he dropped us back off at the cabin. I tried to call my mother to check on the kids, but got the machine and left the number where we were, just in case she had misplaced it. I figured she and Aubrey had decided to take the kids to a late matinee or out for pizza. Boo! Jason crept up behind me and grabbed me around the waist. I pretended I was mad, but loved his touches any way I could get them. Jason, you scared the hell out of me. My nerves are racked enough as it is. Oh, come on, Zoe. We're here all alone. Who else will be grabbing you? That's not the point. I started to walk away, but he grabbed me and plopped down the couch, pulling me down with him. You're still jumpy, aren't you? He started kissing and sucking on my neck. Yes, I'm a little perturbed by all of this. Well, don't be. He started unbuttoning my flannel shirt. We're safe now, and the kids are safe. It's all over, baby. If you say so. I do say so. Now give me my tatas. Tatas. Yeah. Sorry. I started giggling while he unfastened my bra and popped a breast in his mouth. After a few more moments of foreplay, all of my fears disappeared and my sexual desires took their place. We were in bed, even though it was only about 10 o'clock when we heard a loud rapping at the door. Jason threw on a robe and went downstairs to see what the ruckus was about. Who is it? It's the county sheriff. Mr. Rayner? Jason opened the door. By that time, I was at the top of the steps wearing one of Jason's undershirts and a pair of panties. The sheriff came into the living room with one of his deputies right on his heels. What's wrong, sheriff? What's this all about? Mr. Rayner, we tried to call, but your phone seemed to be off the hook. I looked around and saw that the phone on the end table beside the couch had been knocked over. I probably hit it with my foot accidentally when Jason picked me up and carried me off to bed. There's been some trouble back in Atlanta, and Detective... He pulled out a small notepad and flipped the cover open. Detective Wilson asked me to drive up here and inform you about what happened. I came down the steps in a state of panic. What happened? Did something happen to my kids? My mother? Were they in an accident? No, ma'am. Nothing like that. In fact, he wanted me to tell you that your mother, stepfather, and the kids are all in protective custody and have been transported to a safe house. Your mother's the one who told us how to find you. Jason yelled at that before I could. A safe house? Yes, sir. Do you know what Allison Morton? Yes, I know Allison. She's my personal secretary in my architectural firm. Well, he took off his hat, scratched his head, and then replaced it. Not anymore, she isn't. The deputy walked around the couch, sat the phone back upright, and made sure it was operational. 
What do you mean not anymore? She was found murdered a couple hours ago in her apartment in southwest Atlanta. Murdered? I went running up to him. I had called Allison a bitch, told her to get the hell out of my house, threatened to have Jason fire her, and now she was dead. One thing I knew for sure, and that was that her death was somehow attributed to me, or the sheriff wouldn't have been there, and my kids wouldn't have been in protective custody. What happened to her? From what I understand, she was severely mutilated, ma'am. Look here. Here's the number to the station back in Atlanta. He ripped the piece of paper out of his pad and handed it to me. The best thing would be for you to call Detective Wilson. He's waiting to hear from either you or me anyway. He can clear this whole thing up a whole lot better than I can. The sheriff was obviously a man who didn't want such evil in his county. A couple good old boys driving drunk or getting in a bar brawl seemed more his speed. Even talking about murder made the hairs on his neck stand up. I called Detective Wilson. He yanked the phone up on the first ring after I was connected to his desk. Miss Raynard? I have some extremely disturbing news for you. Jason was sitting beside me on the couch and holding my hand while the sheriff and his deputy paced back and forth, seemingly more nervous than anyone else. So I heard, Detective, what exactly happened to Allison and what does this have to do with me? Mrs. Morton was discovered by her boyfriend a few hours ago. He went over there and used his key to gain entry when she failed to show up for a date. He found her hanging from the piping in her basement apartment. He paused before adding, She had been gutted like a pig. What? I started trembling, and Jason kept asking me what the detective was saying. I told him I would fill him in when I got off the phone. Detective, that's horrible, but her death might not have anything to do with me. Dempsey's dead, remember? Yes, I remember. I identified that bastard's body at the crime scene myself. So, what makes you think this involves me? I was on the edge of my seat, nervously awaiting his answer. Hmm. I guess you could say the writing on the wall was a dead giveaway. What writing on the wall? There was a silence on the other end of the phone. Detective? It was written to Miss Morton's blood on her bedroom wall. What was? Zoe is one dead bitch. So, first of all, yeah, I was wrong. I was wrong. Allison wasn't the motherfucker. Like, I thought she was a motherfucker. Turns out she's not the motherfucker. There's only one motherfucker left. It's fucking Diamond. Or Tyson. One of the two. Probably Diamond. But. But. Who the fuck would go after Allison and write shit about Zoe? Why would they do that? Allison is firmly associated with Jason, not Zoe. And nobody who knew about Zoe would know about Allison, except for maybe Quentin. Huh? I doubt that. Would Quentin really go bad like that? But I doubt that. But Quentin, because Quentin went to Jason's office but how would he associate Zoe having a relationship with Allison? And if she, if he did, he would know that it was a bad relationship. Like, really acrimonious. That girl died for nothing. At the same time, she was a fucking asshole, so I don't feel badly about it. But still. Huh. That was out of no fucking where. Chapter 35. I dropped the phone into Jason's lap and froze in place. 
Zoe, what's wrong with you? You look pale as a ghost. I wouldn't answer him. I couldn't answer. I was in the middle of having a fucking heart attack. Detective, well, you know, I should say that the way she said it with all the exclamation points, but I don't want to. Detective Wilson, this is Jason Rayner. What happened to my secretary? Jason listened intently while the detective repeated everything he had just told me, adding he thought the most likely motive for the murder was gaining information about our whereabouts. Apparently, whoever killed Allison tortured her first and then put her out of her misery until she told them what they wanted to know. That explained a hell of a lot and made my guilt grow ten times over. Someone was after me, and poor Allison had died because of it. She was tortured because she tried to protect Jason and me. It was probably just Jason. She was probably like, let me call Jason and tell him to leave and go to the store and pick something up. I will offer him every part of me. Just let him go. And then she's here. I'll tell you where she is as soon as you let me call him and make sure he's safe. Then you can go kill her. I don't give a fuck. But let me take care of this first. Her death on my hands was something I would have to deal with for years to come if I lived that long. I was in a trance until I heard Jason, still on the phone, blurt out, A gold earring? What about it? I yanked the phone out of his hand. Detective, what about a gold earring? It just seemed out of place. It was thrown on top of the comforter on her bed, but she wasn't wearing the match. We couldn't find the other one in her jewelry box or anywhere else in the apartment. It may show up after forensics goes to the place more carefully, but the way it was positioned? I figured the assailant might have lost it during a struggle. He paused and then added, it's probably nothing, just a hunch. I could have just asked him what type of gold earring it was, but I decided to play a hunch of my own. Detective, was the earring a gold cross? I could hear his breathing become more exasperated over the phone. How did you know it was a gold cross? I didn't answer him. My mind was playing back memories in my mind. Miss Rayner, Tyson wears a gold cross earring in his left ear. It's not Tyson. So, okay, now I'm really thinking it. It could be Quentin. He could have taken it off Tyson when Tyson came to his spot. Or it could be Diamond. Either way it goes. It could be Dusty. Shit. Why the fuck not? Unfucking believable How could everyone I ever ran across in my entire life turn out to be a loony? Dempsey, Diamond, Tyson, all fucking crazy. I began to wonder if the old saying, you are what you attract, was written specifically for me. Maybe I was the maniac, and all the others were just following my lead. At that time, the police had assumed Tyson had fled jurisdiction to another state to avoid doing time for his parole violation. And I figured the same. When he tried to strangle me that day in Quentin's hallway, I figured it to be a one-shot deal, caused by a fleeting moment of anger. I had chalked the incident with him and Jason up to the same. Never in a million years would I have thought Tyson was capable of such madness. The sheriff informed me we had two choices. There was really no place for us to stay that side of the county line that time of night. So we could either stay where we were and have him and his deputy keep watch outside, or we could bunker down for the night at the sheriff's department. I opted for the first choice, and so did Jason. No way I was trying to spend the night sleeping on a hard cot in a cell. The two officers, who I affectionately nicknamed Andy and Barney, took up a post out in their car in front of the cabin at about midnight. I refilled both of their thermoses with hot coffee, and they took turns relieving themselves in the downstairs bathroom before heading out into the cool March night air. Okay, 
they're both going to die. I don't know how somebody's going to overtake both cops. Who knows? Maybe it's not, you know, Tyson or Diamond. Maybe it's fucking John Wick. This book was written before John Wick came out, so that's fanciful. But you never really know, do you? Jason and I took our asses to bed. And for the first time since my release from the hospital, nothing sexual happened before we drifted off to sleep. We were both stressed the hell out and worried about our kids being in a safe house. This sounded like something for people in a witness protection program. I didn't like it, any of it, and I desperately wanted it all to end. So many times I thought the shit was over, but each problem resolved seemed to bring about an even bigger one. Now Tyson was after my ass. Shame on it all. I fell asleep thinking about the fight between Dusty and me that day in the parking lot of the garage where Tyson worked and how she ripped the gold cross earring out of his ear, causing it to bleed when he pulled her off me. The same earring I used to take into my mouth and suck on, along with his earlobe, while he was fucking the shit out of me in his apartment. And the same earring they had found in Allison's apartment after he gutted her like a pig, to quote Detective Wilson. Jason and I were both in a deep sleep when glass shattered somewhere downstairs. We both jumped up. I picked up the phone beside the bed, but the line was dead. Jason covered my mouth, muffling my screams and whispered in my ear, Zoe, don't say a word. Just listen to me and do exactly what I say. What you do, this is just me because I play more than enough Call of Duty. You take the gun that you just got. You Rambo crawl to the stairs. It's dark. Whole house is dark. You Rambo crawl to the top of the stairs. When the assailant comes to the stairs, because that's the only way to gain access to you, you shoot them. Square in the chest. You have the upper ground, Obi-Wan. Shoot them. Immediately. Shoot them twice. Shoot them in the chest, then double tap. Shoot them in the head. Boom, boom. Not going to happen, but that's the best way to do it. If you have the upper ground, you do not go back down. You don't go downstairs to investigate. You don't do any of that. Jason should have said that. Let's see what he says. I nodded and listened while he instructed me on what to do. Jason helped me climb out the top floor window and I jumped down onto the ground below. There goes the upper ground. My ribs, still damaged from the accident and Dempsey slamming them up against the car door, hurt like all hell when I landed. But at that point, I really didn't give a damn about the pain. I had to make it to the police car and let them know Tyson was in the house. I was about five yards from the sheriff's car when I realized something was terribly wrong, deadly wrong. The sheriff's arm was hanging limply out of the driver's side window. When I got closer, I saw his eyes in the moonlight, and I knew right off the bat they were the eyes of a dead man. There was a small bullet hole in his forehead, and his deputy had his head on the senior officer's shoulder. If I didn't know any better, I would have thought he was napping. Andy and Barney were both dead, and Jason was alone in the house with Tyson. Tyson, who had a gun and was blowing people away with it. So, if you shoot my partner, you ain't gonna get a second shot off. Unless it's a silencer. I mean, like, click, click, maybe, but what? Y'all acting like these folks were assassins. That can never happen. Not that easy. I opened the driver's side door, and the sheriff fell halfway out the car. I reached over and yanked on the part of the police radio you speak into. It came to me too easily, and once I had it in my hand, I discovered why. The cord had been cut. Calling for help on the radio was out of the question. I felt all over for the guns they both wore on their hips earlier that evening. They were nowhere in sight. 
They could have been anywhere. Tossed in the bushes or taken by Tyson. I didn't have time to search, and my stupid ass had left my gun in my office, figuring the whole ordeal was over and done with. I had to get to Jason. I had to save my baby. Too many people had paid the ultimate price, and my husband wasn't going to be one of them. Even if it meant laying down my own life to save his. I snuck around to the back so I could look in through the rear windows of the cabin. I couldn't see anything at first, but then I spotted Jason sprawled on the kitchen floor, unconscious. There was no blood, so I didn't think he had been shot. I had to find out. The patio door was ajar and missing a pane. That was obviously the glass we heard breaking. For once in my life, I wasn't afraid. I was sick of all the bullshit. If Tyson wanted to kill me, he was going to have a hell of a time doing it because I had no intention of going out without a struggle. I went in and looked around the downstairs living area. It was dark in the living room. I didn't sense or hear any movement. I made my way over to Jason and tried to wake him to no avail. He had a nasty knot on the back of his head and I figured Tyson must have cold cocked him with the butt of the gun. For the life of me, I couldn't figure out why he hadn't killed Jason like the cops, but I was happy as all hell he didn't. Okay, I was wrong three times. It's Quentin. If he didn't kill Jason, it's because, like he said, he felt bad for Jason for all the shit that she put him through. So now I have three suspects. Quentin's number one. Dusty's number two. Diamond's number three. Suddenly, I heard some footsteps coming down the stairs. I let Jason's head down gently before sneaking off to conceal myself in the darkness of the living room. Where's that bitch wife of yours? Jason started to regain consciousness. A swift kick to the chest cavity made him wake all the way up. Where is she? Jason didn't answer. He just looked up off the floor with fear and pain in his eyes. Come on out, Zoe, my love. Snookums, I have something I want to give you. A present. Jason started to blurt out a question. Aren't you? Yes, I am. But I'm also the man who's been fucking the shit out of your wife. Well, at least one of the men she's been fucking. Yep, it's Quentin. Jason muttered the word, bastard. All he got in return was another violent kick, but this time to the leg. I wanted to rush over to him, but I needed to think things through clearly. I simply couldn't believe my eyes. Zoe's such a whore, Jason. Don't you realize that? Jason spat on his assailant's shoes, and I noticed blood coming out along with his saliva. I thought for sure you would leave her. Kick her ass out the house. That way she could have been with me. We could have been together forever, Jason. Jason's temper started to flare up. If Zoe's such a whore, as you put it, why would you even want to be with her? Don't get smart with me, Jason. Another kick to the chest. Don't ever take that tongue with me. That's his brother. I bet you Quentin is his brother. Oh my God, no way. Don't ever take that tone with me. The only reason you're still breathing is because I need you to get to her. I know the skank bitch won't show her face unless it's to save your pathetic ass. Zoe loves me and only me, Jason exclaimed. She always has. How sweet. Not that it's going to matter much a few minutes from now. I saw Jason about to get kicked again, and I couldn't maintain my composure one more second. I screamed out, Quentin! I, I can't say Quentin when I'm saying it out loud. It's like, Quentin! Quentin! See, you, it's hard. You try it. Quentin! Okay, got it that time. Quentin swung around to face the living room. I could see him squinting to make out my shadow. Zoe, my love! He reached out his arms. Now that I know it's Quentin for sure, I'm going back to the voice. Come to Papa, baby. <laughs> what are you doing here, Quentin? I asked as I walked into their view. 
Jason was frantically trying to wave me away, silently telling me to run. There wasn't a chance in hell of me doing that. I looked back at Quentin. You killed Allison, didn't you? Quentin grinned at me like he thought the question was humorous. A man's got to do what a man's got to do. I was dazed and confused. Part of me still didn't want to deal with what was going on. I was prepared to face off with Tyson, but not Quentin. But, but, why? Why are you doing this? I stuttered. Quentin held up his gun and scratched his temple. Gee, I don't know, Zoe. Maybe something just snapped. I noticed the gun had a silencer on it. No wonder Jason and I didn't hear the gunshots when Andy and Barney were killed. Yeah, that's it, he continued. Temporary insanity brought on by falling in love with a trifling ass bitch. I struggled to find some words. But, but we thought Tyson. He interrupted me before I could finish. Ingenious, wasn't it? He boasted, waving the gun around the air. Planting the earring and everything. I knew the police would pick up on that. And if they didn't, you would. He gave me a devilish grin. Setting up Tyson as the fall guy was perfect. Not that he gives a shit. How did you... I hesitated and thought back to the confrontation in Quentin's hallway. I clearly remembered that Tyson wasn't wearing the earring because Dusty had ripped it out in the parking lot. The day Tyson came to your place, he wasn't wearing it. Uh-uh-uh-uh. Quentin chuckled, shaking the index finger of his free hand like he was scolding a toddler. Correction. The first time he came to my place, he wasn't wearing it. What do you mean by that? Quentin ignored my question. Now that I've had a couple months to reflect back on it, Zoe, I really should have let him kill your bitch ass then. The stupidest thing I've ever done is prying his fingers off your neck. Now I was starting to get pissed. How dare he come off at me like that? I realized I need to stay calm because Quentin was there for one reason and one reason only, to kill me. However, when he made his last statement, I threw tacked out the damn window. I walked within two feet of him and slapped him in the face. Then why didn't you, you bastard, you fucking piece of shit? Quentin rubbed his cheek. I started to try and grab the gun, but I didn't want to risk Jason getting shot. I didn't care what happened to me at that point. I probably deserved it anyway. Oh, come on, Zoe, Quentin chided. No need to be rude. Let's not make this situation any uglier than it already is. He pushed me down on the floor next to Jason. Why don't you just have a seat down there with your man? Cool your heels off. Quentin was really sick. I thought back to all the passionate afternoons and evenings we had spent together. He was so romantic, so giving of himself. To think, all along he was a psychopath. As I was saying before you so rudely interrupted me, Zoe, Tyson didn't have one lacrosse ear in the first time, but he did the second. I glared up at him, trying to make some sense out of what he was saying. The second, can you believe that piece of shit came banging on my door demanding I leave you alone? Quentin asked, enraged. I was beginning to get a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. If Quentin was crazy enough to kill Allison and two police officers, what would keep him from killing Tyson? And what'd you say to him? Oh, nothing much, Quentin quickly replied. I sat there for a few minutes, listening to him profess his undying love for you. I told him he really needed to be telling all this bullshit to Jason. He said he already had and told me about their punk-ass fight. Jason yelled out, You're the punk, motherfucker! Before I could stop him, Quentin kicked Jason in the head. I beg to differ with you, Jason. You're the biggest punk of all. You married the queen bitch and bred babies with her. 
I cradled Jason's head in my lap and looked around for a weapon, anything I could use to defend us. I was willing to die, and I would have begged Quentin to get it over with if Jason was safe and in the clear. I couldn't let Jason pay the ultimate price for my sins. I just couldn't. Our kids needed at least one of us to survive. Quentin was pointing the gun at Jason's head. I desperately needed to change the subject, so I asked him, What did you do to Tyson? Quentin started laughing, guffawing even. He went over and leaned on the counter in hysterics. I was just glad he stopped pointing the gun. You want to know what I did to him? I'll be glad to tell you. I killed his ass. I prayed the whole nightmare would go away. I killed his ass and buried him in the train yard right alongside my brother, my sister, and Diamond. Train yard? Diamond? I just knew I had to be hearing things. Yes, Zoe. Quentin came back over and knelt down in front of us. You remember the first time I fucked you, Zoe? In the train yard? Guess what? We did it right on top of the graves I dug for my brother and sister 15 years ago. I was in shock. You killed your brother and sister? Among other people, he answered calmly. As for Diamond, I know what you did with her, Zoe. I looked away in shame. I know what you did, and she paid the ultimate price for your pussy, too. Just like Tyson. He ran his fingers through my hair, grabbed my face, and tried to force his tongue into my mouth. I refused it. He stood back up. I hate to borrow that old cliche, but if I can't have you, nobody will. Jason tried to push his way up off the floor, using his hand to no avail. His eyelids were fluttering, and he was barely conscious. Enough of this, Quentin exclaimed. Come to me, Zoe. I hate to let go of Jason, but I had to try something, and there was nothing on the floor to help out my cause. I placed Jason's head on the floor and slowly got up. Quentin, I have an idea. If you really want us to be together, why, why don't we just leave? I'll go anywhere you want to go. Just don't hurt Jason, okay? <laughs> How admirable, Zoe. He looked me up and down like he was pondering my offer. However, I don't believe shit you saying. I'm telling the truth. Truth? He started laughing again. You don't know the meaning of the damn word. Quentin suddenly grabbed my arm and flung me against the kitchen counter, making me hit my ribs against the overhang. I screamed out in pain. He walked up behind me and pressed himself up against my back. Oh, did I hurt you? He asked, pulling the hair out of my face so we could see my profile. I didn't mean to hurt you, baby. I asked a logical question. If you don't want to hurt me, why are you here? He took a deep sigh. Because I'm confused, Zoe. Part of me wants to wring your little neck, but... The other part of me wants to carry you away someplace and make you love me. I didn't reply. I just stood frozen in place while he started licking all over the back of my neck. Maybe if I fuck you right here, right now, in front of Jason, I might be able to figure out the solution to my bitch problem. You think? You're sick, I blurted out, searching the countertop for something to hit him with. Since the cabin was a rental, most of the countertop was cleared off. He swung me around to face him. I'm sick. What about you? Okay, we're both sick, I readily admitted. But Jason has nothing to do with this. Let him go, I pleaded, for the sake of my kids. For a brief second, I thought I saw a tear forming in Quentin's left eye. Please, Quentin. You remember what it was like to grow up in a home without parents. Look what it did to you. Shut up, Zoe. Quentin punched me in the face. Shut the fuck up. 
Before I could react to the punch, he started ripping off my clothes. He lifted me up on the counter and hit me again in the face until I had no choice but to succumb to his advances. I shut my eyes because I didn't want to see what I knew what would be next. I heard him unzipping his pants. And then he entered me roughly. I lay there in fear while he had his way with me. The mere fact that he was fucking me with Jason in the room made me want to crawl up in a hole and die. I just wanted the whole thing to be over with. I began to think about all the things I'll never get to do, including watching my kids grow up. I opened my eyes when Quentin dropped the gun on the counter so he could grab my hips and push himself deeper into me. I tried to gauge whether it was in my reach and stretched my fingers out in a useless effort. Quentin noticed what I was doing and chuckled. Forget it. Not a chance. Just fuck me, Zoe. Fuck me hard. I wouldn't move my hips, and that made him even more irate. Fuck me, damn it. I clamped my eyes shut again and prayed for it to end. That's when I heard the crack, like a walnut being opened with a nutcracker. Before I could see what was happening, Quentin was no longer inside of me. Who's the punk now? Who's the punk now, you fucking bastard? Jason exclaimed, beating Quentin on the head ferociously with the butt of the gun. You're fucking stupid, Quentin. First of all, fuck you for sexually assaulting a woman. Secondly, fuck you for sexually assaulting anybody. Third of all, fuck you for fucking this whole thing up. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. But fuck you for being so fucking stupid. As I put your fucking gun down so you can get deeper into somebody that you're sexually assaulting. And then to talk to her to try and convince you to love her, to love you back and to fuck you back. Fuck you, fam. You took this whole thing way too fucking far and you brought this whole thing upon your fucking self. And isn't it just wonderfully strange how all three of the people that um, Zoe chose to be with as far as affairs are all fucking insane? Like in some way, shape or form? I mean, honestly, to be real with you, to be real, real with you, we don't even know if Diamond was trying to choke her out with that pillow. It was just assumed that she was trying to murder her with that pillow. She could have really been fluffing up a pillow for her. She could have. We don't know. What we do know is that both of the men in her life were both crazy and ended up trying to kill her. Each of them. And then one was the alpha killer and killed both of them. Him and her. And then we find out killed his entire family and then had sex over their graves. <sighs> By the time I managed to get down off the counter, Jason was on top of Quentin on the floor, still beating the shit out of him. A handful of Quentin's teeth were scattered on the floor and his face was so bloody it was almost unrecognizable. I tried to pull Jason off him. Jason, that's enough. He kept beating him and I was afraid he would kill him. That's enough, Jason, I reiterated, pleading with him not to take a life. Death is too good for him. Let the police handle him. Jason finally stopped hitting him and tossed the gun aside. I got down on my knees and hugged him tightly. He started crying and he wasn't alone. I kissed him all over the face. I love you, Jason. I love you too, Zoe, he whispered. This is forever. Always has been. Always will be. Epilogue. They found more than a dozen bodies buried in the shallow graves in the train yard where Quentin painted his first mural. A mural of the perfect family he wished he had. Along with Tyson and Diamond, they also identified the bodies of Quentin's brother and sister using the dental records they obtained from a court order. Two additional bodies are believed to be those of his father and stepmother.
Quentin admitted to killing him on the one-year anniversary of his mother's suicide. Quentin is permanently confined in the criminally insane ward of St. Elizabeth's Hospital. They're still trying to get him to reveal the identities of his other victims, but he refuses. However, all the remaining victims are believed to have been young females. My name is Zoe, and I'm addicted to sex. I was attending my first sexual addiction meeting, and I decided to waste no time telling the whole room my dilemma. Marcella told me I could just sit back, watch, and observe the first few times until I felt comfortable enough to speak. I jumped right in with my testimony, though. Hiding things and keeping secrets have caused enough damage in my life, and never again would I allow them to overpower me. Marcella had located the addiction group through a local Atlanta hospital. I still planned to spend a couple of weeks in Florida with Dr. Graham in the summer, but attending local meetings with other people suffering from the same illness as myself was a start. Surveying the room, I was surprised to see so many faces. Even stranger was how normal they all appeared to be. They came from all walks of life, from accountants and housewives to lawyers and college students. While I was not happy to find out so many others shared the same problem, it felt good to know I was not alone. Jason was outside in the waiting area with Marcella. He was dying to come in with me, but I reassured him I could handle it alone. Things between him and I were improving every day, and our lovemaking was nothing short of awesome. I always knew he was a man for me, and my love for him had never been and will never be more profound. I gave my testimonial to the group. I told them how my life had been turned upside down because of incidents in my childhood. I explained that nothing and no one had been what they had seemed. I told them my life had transformed into a web of lies and deceit, filled with people who all had their own secrets and mental issues to deal with. I described how I was stalked and almost murdered. Finally, I explained how it all came to a horrible end in the mountains a week before the meeting. I made it through the session and listened to a few of the others relate their depressing stories and enlightening recovery experiences. Then I went back in the hall and kissed Marcella goodbye, promising her we would do that girl thing real soon, go shopping or taking dinner and a play together, just like Brianna and I used to do. Jason reached out for my hand and we headed out the hospital exit on our way to rebuild our lives together, free of chaos and lies. That's it. That's the end. I didn't like the scapegoating of Jason. I didn't feel like, and this is completely selfish of me, and I know that, but I felt like his trauma wasn't a trauma to where he would act like that regarding sex. I guess I need to do more research in regards to something like that. Um, especially given the fact that he was still enjoying porn and jacking off and everything else and all the time that he was avoiding having sex with his wife. Uh, Quentin went and saw Jason, talked with Jason, decided Jason was a good-ass dude and he wasn't going to do nothing to him because he respected that he had a good relationship and then went back and tried to kill him anyway, which made no sense to me. Diamond dying made no sense to me, but uh, he said that it was because of what she had done with um, Zoe. I did honestly believe it was Dusty. She got me there. I, I thought it was Dusty. I thought it was Allison. I just... I wasn't really feeling the story overall. I'm sure she has better ones. 
the ones that I saw women reading weren't wasn't this one. It wasn't. Um, I don't even know what it was called, honestly. I just know that it was something that was straight up sex. Just like out and out sex stories. So, yeah, that's what I was looking for initially. This was not it. What I'm hoping to do over the next couple episodes is get the thoughts of uh, Molly and Danny from the Black Chick Lit podcast. They did a full-on two-part discussion on this, um, and I'm hoping to post those up so y'all can check them out because their show is really dope. If I'm unable to get it, you'll know because the next book will start right after this. Either way it goes, it'll be a good time. 916-633-1537, Wretched and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. You can leave a review on Spotify, it takes like 13 seconds. You can also leave a review on uh, Podchaser, copy and paste that into Apple Podcasts, and then copy and paste that into the Good Pods app. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast. One dollar will get you a ton of content. Uh, you can also donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know by now that you slipped.